0: Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Los Angeles to speak with Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers about the Lakers reportedly settling on a new head coach. We will go to the Bay Area to speak with Charles Hamilton of Locked On Warriors about Golden State's loss in Game 3, the struggles of Steph Curry and what they need to do for Game 4. And lastly, we go to Toronto to speak with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors about Toronto squaring the series with the Philadelphia 76s. It's all coming up, the bigger stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA.
1: are locked on the nba part of the locked on podcast network
0: Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode, another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I am the lead analyst at basketballmonster.com, the NBA playoffs. Interesting stories, interesting games, great series, great performances right across the league. We're going to cover a few of those in today's show. So let's get to it. Now it's time to bring in the host of the Locked On Lakers podcast Anthony F Irwin is here. Anthony, uh, unconfirmed reports, but I believe the uh, F stands for Fire Rob Polinka. Uh yes, that's
2: that's uh it's it was really crazy that my parents, you know, 30 years ago had the foresight to to name me Anthony Fire Rob Polinka Irwin. Uh, I it made
0: no sense until right now. Well, it's, uh, everything's just all wrapping up neatly, nicely. Good uh, foreshadowing by your parents there as well to uh, to, to get that <laughs> get that name in there. But in all seriousness, Anthony, there's been some moves in this Lakers front office. We know about the Magic Johnson uh, weird resignation. But how are things looking in this front office at the moment? By all appearances, it looks like Palinka is just going to absorb all of Magic's powers. Is anyone else coming in to this role to help oversee him in that uh, GM slash president role? The analogy
2: I've used... Has been, you know, if you're, I was walking out of a Costco, out of a out of a supermarket a few weeks back, and there were two cars that were reversing, and they were reversing in each other's direction, and uh, as that was happening, you're kind of watching, You're like at some point they'll they're going to see each other, right? Gonna, <laughs> and they keep getting they keep getting closer, and they keep getting closer, and you're like, oh my god, they're actually, and that's how it's been with Rob Palenka, where. You know they Magic Johnson steps down out of nowhere, doesn't warn anybody, doesn't tell anybody about it, right? And you think they're going to hire somebody, right? <laughs> they aren't actually going to go forward with Rob Palenka. They aren't. Ac- and then now, you know, the the cars have hit each other. the 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 accident has happened, and that is the way that they're going to move forward. They're going to have Rob Palenka. I don't know if it's going to be. They they created the position for Magic Johnson. I I legitimately think it was a it was a move born out of pettiness that they made Magic Johnson president of basketball operations when Jim Buss previously was vice president or executive vice president of basketball operations, <laughs> uh, and I really think that they created it just so that Magic could say like I have a bigger role, you know. And and uh, I think what they're probably going to do is they're going to dissolve that position. Rob Palinka will be executive vice president or something like that. Uh, and And apparently, Kurt Rambis is going to be a, a general manager. He went from being unhirable as a coach to to leapfrogging that position to being, you know, either, a high-level consultant or an actual general manager—it's—it's it's wild the way all this is going.
0: Well, at least you don't have Kristaps porzingas for Rambus to force to play at the uh, at the small forward position as he uh, <laughs> as he once posited as a coach of the New York Knicks. His his track record of failing upwards is absolutely unparalleled uh, throughout yeah. NBA circles. And, and you've been uh, vocal of a lot of uh, these criticisms of the Lakers front office. Is can the Rob Polinka situation work? Because of all the rumors—and who knows how much of this is true—but there is a the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire, of him being not well-liked around the league of teams, deliberately trying to sabotage moves that he is making because of personal animosity, or the way that he goes about his business... Is there any uh, any realism to this? Is there any, you know, the, the failed Pelicans negotiations, some of the stuff we've heard, you know, come out about, you know, Popovich saying, you know, don't deal with the Spurs advice given to someone like Monty Williams, which we'll get on a little bit later about perhaps don't take the Lakers job. How much of that is, you know, being uh, you know, maybe whipped up by the media or is it a legitimate concern with some of these issues that we are hearing whispers about with Polinka? I think the timing of it
2: was really interesting because when it looked like the Lakers might still hire somebody, that's when all those reports were out there and the thinking my, my line of thinking on this is when when it looked like there was going to be a position available. And, and and frankly, if you think about if you just isolate the situation, right, you have a young core, you have cap space, you have LeBron, you have all of the resources that come with being a Laker, the Lakers. Right. Uh, they print money and. And that's one of the more appealing positions or or available positions that I've seen, frankly, in my lifetime. And I think when when it still looked like the Lakers might fill that role with a Bob Myers, with a the, a Sam Presti or a Masai Ujiri, who were some of the names that I heard were back-channeling talks and, and just kind of seeing, gauging what the situation was going to be with the Lakers – um, that's when all those reports were out there, and I would imagine you know those people or their camps were were getting stuff out there about Palenka to make it more likely that they go with an outside candidate. And then as soon as it looked like Rob Palenka was going to be the guy, is going to be kept, you saw those. You know, we saw we're now seeing those counter reports that oh, actually Rob Palenka is a nice guy. Actually, no, he isn't a liar. And and I think all of that, the timing of this tells me that. There was once a time that the Lakers might hire somebody, then they, they decided not to go in that direction. And now the, these people who maybe wanted that job now have to work with Rob Polinka and, and I think they've kind of backed off on on some of those reports. I don't think it was fake. I don't you know there's a lot of Laker fans and and Jeannie Bus will probably hop on another microphone and do the fake news thing again. Um, but I think there was, there, there is some there, you just you don't hear that much stuff about a guy without with it being unfounded and i think uh i think one thing that he is really good at is understanding who he has to please uh in the in in order to get ahead and with those people he treats those people really really well but if he doesn't value you if he don't see if he doesn't see you as a priority then no he's he's probably he's going to treat you uh a lot worse than than the people
0: that he that he prioritizes All of this is preamble to get to the news that broke over the last couple of days of Adrian Wojnarowski uh, tweeting out that uh, the Lakers are likely to be finalizing an offer for Ty Lue to become the next head coach. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony, I believe that hasn't been officially finalized at this point. It comes uh, on the back of Monty Williams uh, accepting the Phoenix Suns job. Um, A lot of people, especially Phoenix Suns fans, we put, look at you Lakers, Williams chose Phoenix over LA. I I don't actually see a huge amount of difference between, Monty and Ty Lue to be honest and I could think mm-hmm. you could make an easy argument for Lou being a better candidate than Wim so I don't think there's any sort of negativity there but in terms yeah. of Lou you know looking like a 99% chance of getting this job at least the Lakers did appear to have a, a somewhat thorough coaching search what does the Lou outlook look for this squad
2: I think offensively he's he's worlds better than uh, Luke Walton was Ah, uh, Luke Walton's offensive systems, his strategy, his rotations, frankly, too, were were borderline offensive. <laughs> yep. um and and I think when when Lou steps in here and and he understands a little better how to utilize LeBron, he had success utilizing LeBron. I think you'll see a, a Lakers team that makes a lot more sense next year. Uh, I think Lou is is obviously of the of the line of thinking that you supply LeBron with enough shooters to give him enough spacing to be able to operate. And that's the best way to succeed, so long as he's on the roster. So I think that's, you know, that's one thing that he'll do there. I'm also really excited to see what he does with Brandon ingram. if if Ingram is healthy and he's given a little bit more space, he was I, I think he's become one of the more underrated players uh, in in the NBA. And I think a lot of it has to do with his lows being just super low um and and his highs you know, they're always marked by some type of absence right after he's reaching those highs. Last year he was playing really well. And he sprains his ankle and he doesn't play again for the rest of the year. This year he's playing extremely well. Um, and then he had that crazy blood clot situation, and, and now we don't know. He's, he's His future is kind of murky too. But if you give Ingram and if you give LeBron enough space to be able to operate um, against a defense that that ha- that can't give so much help uh, I think that's going to help both guys a lot, and and I think that's what we're looking forward to with Lou. And then I'm really interested to see what kind of a coaching staff they put together. There was some rumor there that Lou was willing to reach out to Tom Thibodeau uh, to be a defensive specialist, to to be his defensive coordinator, in essence. Uh, that would be that would be interesting. I think the Lakers have to really learn from the Luke Walton era, and and know that. They have to put together a better coaching staff than Luke was put together for himself because that was, that was a, <laughs> it was a joke
0: really. Well, I guess uh, Anthony uh, Kurt Rambus is available for any of those assistant coaching <laughs> jobs there, so he, he can uh, with uh, the, the talent that this guy has, he can uh, he can easily take double duty, and uh, and yeah. take one of those roles on. Of course, Anthony will have all of the details when this uh, coaching hire officially becomes official and any uh, other movement in that front office with assistant coaches on Locked On Lakers. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me, Anthony. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Make sure you're subscribing to Locked On NBA by using the Himalaya podcast app. Download the app and subscribe to Locked On NBA or your favorite show across the Locked On podcast network. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Raptors podcast, Sean Woodley's here. Last week, Sean, I had you on the show as well. We were talking about the Raptors' huge Game 1 victory over the Philadelphia 76ers. Here I'm talking to you about the big win in Game 4. But in the interim, things have been a little bit different. and This Game 4 victory uh, seems uh, a a lot more needed, or obviously a lot more needed after the Games 2 and 3 and that absolute destruction in in Game 3 for the Raptors. What changed between Games 3 and 4? Because if you just listen to the last two podcasts we've done, you'd think that Toronto had this series well in hand. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: the Game 4 win certainly put to rest, like, a whole lot of Raptors' anxiety. Uh, Raptors fans are famous for how much they panic in the sight of even, the, like, the smallest amount of danger. Uh, and honestly, it was kind of warranted. Game 2 was, uh, like... A kind of a coin flip game where it could have gone either way. I mean, they had an open three with from Danny Green with like, I don't know, 10 seconds left to tie it and just missed. And, you know, that you just kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, oh, well, you'll get the next one. And then they didn't get the next one. Game three was a disaster. It was... A, like an absolute train wreck, offensively, defensively. The Sixers played insanely well. Joel Embiid did his thing. Um, and the Raptors' defense was, the th- I think, the thing that really kind of betrayed them in that game. The Sixers started running a bunch of pick and roll with Joel Embiid, and they were not really prepared for that. You know, Marcus Gasol is a very good defender, and he's done a great job on Embiid for the most part in this series. But if there's one way you want to attack him, it's in the pick and roll. It's, it's making him go vertical. And the, they just could not stop that. You know, Serge Ibaka, Marcus did didn't really matter, and the the Raptors' their defense just was not where they needed to be. It, and what you saw in Game Four was a return to their really stout defense. In, in fairness, I think Embiid was a little bit hampered by some sort of illness today. Uh, he just seems to not be able to get right in these playoffs, and uh, you know, they kind of went away from what made them so successful in the last game. There was a lot of Jimmy Butler pick and roll in this game, and they didn't manage it super well, but they kind of found it on the margins. They got contributions from more than just two players. You know, Marcus Gasol actually started taking shots, so did Kyle Lowry. Uh, Serge Ibaka had a really nice game off the bench as well, and it, it was just when the Raptors play good defense, when they are rotating crisply, when they're when they're sort of being the sort of hyper aggressive unit that they can be, they establish a really high floor for themselves that allows you to have some you know missteps on offense from time to time. And they, for the first part of this game, were just ghastly from three. They were like three of their first fourteen from deep or something like that, missed a ton of wide open shots, and you thought that might come back to bite them, but their defense held up. And then, well, we should probably talk about Kawhi Leonard. Oh my God, Kawhi Leonard! <laughs> he's he's the biggest. Re- And, you know, you can talk about the defense and your rotations and everything all you want, but it's Kawhi Leonard is the reason the Raptors have tied the series, because uh, that shot he made late in the game, the three-pointer over Joel Embiid, is it's not really even a hot take to say that's the biggest shot in Raptors history. It, it, it's just, I'm still kind of buzzing from it. It's if I sound like I'm all over the place, it's because I just have not been able to sort of sort my thoughts out after that happened. Um, you know, you can talk about, like I said, defense, you know, the way they shot today, how the guys and the rest of the supporting cast played
0: Kawhi Leonard's the reason the Raptors are tied at two right now. He's just been absurd in these playoffs. If, uh, if the Raptors had a uh, lost this game, uh, you'd think there'd be a fair degree of panic happening. So to say that this is the, you know, one of the biggest shots in franchise history. Is not too much of a stretch. And when we did reconvene last uh, Sunday night, Monday to talk about Game One, we we're talking about the fact that Kawhi and Pascal Siakam wouldn't be able to continue to shoot at eighty percent. Now Kawhi went out and shot sixty-five percent of this game, but since that Game One, Siakam has struggled. The Sixers made defensive adjustments, put Joel Embiid on him, and has basically shut him down. And now he is also dealing with an injury. He wasn't great in this game. Only played the twenty-nine minutes, had four fouls and nine points on ten shots. It- how much of it a factor is the Embiid situation, the calf injury? How did he look? And what's the prognosis for Siaka moving forward? Because while they did get the victory here in game four, if he's not performing at a, at an optimal level, it is going to be hard for Toronto to get these next two victories.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's not great. It's certainly not awesome, even if they get past this round, not having a full a uh, fully healthy version of Pascal Siakam is going to make it really difficult with whoever the potential uh, third-round opponent is, whether it's the Bucks or the Celtics. Um, I- I'm not sure how much the Embiid thing really affected him. They did kind of went away from that in Game 3 a little bit. It was Embiid on him for most of Game 2, and that really sort of gave him some trouble, even though he hit a couple big threes late, and he kind of salvaged at night with some really good hustle plays and stuff like that, the stuff you kind of expect from the Energizer bunny that is Pascal Siakam. Um, but the yeah, Game 3 you know, he kind of found a way around the Embiid thing when he was guarded by him. It wasn't that big a concern. The whole team just kind of played like crap in Game 3. But Game 4, yeah, I mean, it was really, really dark 24 hours or so ago. I recorded a podcast in reaction to the news that Pascal Siakam was doubtful. It kind of came out of nowhere. I guess it's probably tied to when he tripped up Joel Embiid uh, in the fourth quarter of Game 3 when he was frustrated. And it's a real, it was a real shock to the system to think that, hey, Pascal's not going to be available. Um, I credit him enormously for coming up and gutting it out in in for 29 minutes in in game four Uh, i thought he played some really actually kind of stout defense even though he was kind of limited you know moving laterally and i i mean it's a thigh or a calf contusion i'm not sure exactly if you could make it worse playing today if it's just a pain management thing um and obviously he was a little bit off in terms of his shooting today whether you can credit that to just like a a weird random shooting game or the fact that his calf is hurt i'm not exactly sure how you assign the blame there but you know With Marcus All and Kyle Lowry having big games, it was kind of able to offset you know, a, a lesser night from Pascal Siakam. But, you know, it's been really nice having Siakam. He's been like the second most willing scorer on the team pretty much for the entire entirety of the season. Um, and he's a really good one-on-one scorer who makes it really hard to justify doubling up on Kawhi Leonard because he's probably going to swing over to Pascal in the far corner and he's going to either hurt you with an open three or he's going to drive on you and create havoc that way. So if he's not 100%, it definitely hurts the Raptors. I think they can probably get through this series without him now that they're 2-2 and have home court through the last three games but um it will be certainly trouble if it if he's not healthy going forward um hopefully you know uh, alex mckechnie the famed uh medical uh the 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 lead medical staff guy on the raptors he just better be massaging that calf for the next two days because that's uh, i want him doing nothing else he should not be sleeping or eating he should just be massaging pascal siakam's calf because he's so so important to what this team does and uh kind of frees up you know, Marcus All and Kyle Lowry to do other things off the ball instead of having them be big scorers. And if he's hurt, those two are going to have to take uh, a real
0: step up in terms of their usage and their efficiency. Well, even with his struggles uh, today, Siakam still was second on the team in usage, 21% behind Leonard's 36. No one else topped out uh, at 20 or above. No one got to that level. And uh, a weird stat from today's game is that only three Raptors took free throws. Kawhi Leonard took 12 of them. Danny Green strangely took eight free throws and uh, Siakam took six. No one else got to the line at all, which is a, a weird distribution of free throws on this team. No Lowry, no Gasol, no Abaka, none of those guys taking any free throws. That's going to have to change uh, in, in future games, and Lowry's going to have to get a few more of those trips to the line to make this team successful as they push forward. Of course, Sean, will have all of that covered for you over on Lockdown Raptors for the rest of this series. This one looks like it's going to push out to seven most likely, but we'll see how that all pans out. Sean, thanks for jumping on Lockdown NBA. Thanks for having me, Josh. Now it's time to bring in the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast, Charles Hamilton is here to talk about Golden State Warriors uh Western Conference semifinal matchup against the Houston Rockets. They lead 2 games to 1 with the Rockets getting game 3. Charles, I'll start with the question that's been uh I guess mentioned quite a bit across NBA circles is uh what's up with Steph Curry? <laughs> yeah, I uh I, he's just not playing well. I mean, people will make
1: excuses about the injuries, the he rolled his ankle and uh, the, the dislocated finger, which sure. But I mean, Jamal Murray's hurt. uh, James Harden got eye raked like other people are hurting, playing well too. So I, I don't make excuses for him. He's just not playing well. He missed a bunch of shots at the rim last night. Uh, he also was, was forcing some jumpers. Uh, he took some bad shots and when he got good shots, he was missing them. Um, he, you know, you, you have to give him some credit because just his presence, his gravity helps regardless of him taking shots or not. And it opens things up for Draymond and Andre who are playing their best basketball of the entire year. Uh, but Steph, yeah, he's just struggling. And you expect him to bounce back. Uh, the only problem is you've been expecting that bounce back for a handful of games now. So I still think it's going to happen and he'll get right and everything, but he's just not not playing well. And credit, credit Houston. Uh, they're not doing anything too crazy. They're trapping him sometimes. But, you know, even when he does get one-on-one matchups, he's uh, – taking bad shots or missing good ones.
0: 7 of 23 from the field in uh, in the weekend's Game 3 loss, 126-121 to Houston in overtime there. I think one of the big indicators there, of just the, the fact that he's off, is the fact that he was 1 of 3 from the free throw line. This is a guy that you know, mm-hmm. is a 90% free throw shooter. He was 2 of 9 on 3. He's a consistent 45% three-point shooter. Just so much seems to be off with his game. It's not just an isolated one game. It's been a few games here. But I do want to focus a little bit more on, on some of the positives here. And that is the play of Draymond Green, who for the majority of this season, has struggled. It has not been his best year, and it's made his you know, upcoming free agency. Are oh, the Warriors are going to trade him. Is he going to be able to get max deals? Is the drop-off come? What's the difference between this Draymond we're getting here, 16-game Draymond versus 82-game Draymond? How has he turned it around? What And what's the reason for the the slowdown during that regular season? Well, you can make
1: the argument with uh, Draymond and Andre Iguodala as well, who actually, you know, Andre had a pretty solid season, but we've seen it with Andre the last couple of years is they just kind of know that the, the end game is a championship and, you know, when in 50 something games, the one seed is great. They want that. But as far as pushing themselves past the minimum uh, during the regular season uh, isn't really a a priority, you know, they're, they're definitely trying to conserve their bodies. But another thing with Draymond is he actually dropped uh, about 20 plus pounds over the last six weeks or so of the regular season, wasn't in great shape. And the fact that he did lose that weight and now is, you know, springier, a little lighter is has made a huge difference. I mean, he, he credits uh, that as well. So I think that's the biggest difference with him. Um, and also just, you know, you, you turn it up in the playoffs, especially with the situation the Warriors are in. It's championship or bust. So they know what the most important thing is. But you, you can't overlook the fact that he's uh, in his best shape of the year.
0: With Steph Curry's struggles, we're hearing all about that. We're hearing about Draymond's play. We're hearing about Kevin Durant, yeah, elevating his game, another 46 points. On Saturday, with six threes and six assists, but... Clay Thompson's struggling as well, but it's it's sort of mm-hmm. flowing under the radar. He was just 6 of 16 in Game 3 for 16 points. He hasn't been the same guy. He hasn't been the same guy nearly you know, all of the season. started off incredibly slowly. You know, picked it up around the December-January period, but he hasn't been the same guy, and he, unlike Draymond, hasn't been able to elevate himself in the playoffs like we've seen uh, in the past from Clay. Any idea of what's going on with him? Is there any injury that's been bothering him through the season? Because he just hasn't been right, has he?
1: He's he's not. He did roll his ankle in Game Six against the Clippers, and uh, that was the the worst ankle roll between him and Steph, where they actually weren't sure if he was going to be able to play Game One. Uh, but he's you know people don't know it really throughout the NBA, but like he's one of the toughest guys in the NBA. You can't you're not going to keep him out. Um, and I think part of why he goes under the radar is because obviously KD and Steph get the headlines, but also he's a lockdown defender. So even though he has been missing shots and not up to the standard that you would expect offensively, he's still been pretty great defensively. But you said it. I mean, he's here's a, a hot take. He's not a great playoff performer. I mean, he's had some huge playoff games, but the consistency, at least offensively, throughout the playoffs isn't really there for him. Um, you wish it was, but for the most part, this is kind of what you get from the playoffs. I mean, unless it's a, a game six elimination game, like against OKC or Houston, uh, where he, I think he, you know, combined for twenty threes and those two different game sixes. Um, he's he's fine. He's still good, but he's not the the clay you'd expect. Um, he did have a a nice stretch there where he, you know, knocked down a three and then a, a mid range uh, five straight points to give him the lead in the fourth. But then you also saw him taking bad shots. We're we're starting to see a little bit in this series where he'll get a switch on Capella and then go one-on-one, and that's just not his game. He'll dribble into a mid-range, and sometimes he hits it. Sometimes he doesn't. It's it's not an efficient shot. Um, I, I think they're letting him go a little – trying to find a switch, find a matchup, and let him go one-on-one, and he's just – he's not really
0: great at that. Now, in terms of game four adjustments and what needs to change, the easy answer to say, well, Golden State – you just needs Curry and Thompson to hit their shots, and, and that, that is fine. But also, in game three, we had Durant knocking down 60% of his threes. Iguodala went Ooh. three of four. Draymond went one of two, and the whole team actually shot over 42% from three. So while it does make sense, yeah, Curry will hit more shots, you know, Clay should hit more shots, those other three guys could really regress, and 42% overall as a team is not a bad three-point shooting night. So it's not as, as simple as, well, these guys just need to do this, because then if those other things regress down, then you're left in, in a similar sort of Area. So, you know, they got the first two victories relatively comfortably, lose this one in overtime. What would they need to change? What would, did we see different in game three that the Warriors might need to make subtle adjustments for heading into game four? Well, one of my
1: things is you can't fake desperation or, you know, the the knowing when you're down 0 2. You can't just. The, the, there's the human element. We saw that with the Rockets. They made more of an effort. They had. The the desperation factor. They were ripping the boards. They out-rebounded the Warriors by 20 uh, overall and by 10 offensively. And a lot of it was effort from P.J. Tucker, but it wasn't as if he was beating a box out or anything. It was just three Warriors waiting around for the ball, and P.J. Would, would actually make an effort to get it. And uh, I think we'll see that fix itself. The Warriors did have 18 offensive rebounds in Game 2, so they're capable. And I think we'll see... At least more of a battle uh, on the boards, and then as far as the shooting goes, you, you mentioned Andre and Draymond. If if Steph or Clay plays half as good as they usually do, and Draymond and, and Andre don't, you know that will kind of make up the difference uh, in shooting. But again, you know uh, we've been expecting that for a handful of games now, and still haven't seen it.
0: That's exactly right. Now, Charles, you'll have that covered for us on Locked On Warriors for game four and for the rest of this series. So make sure you're checking out Locked On Warriors. And thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA with me today. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you're subscribing to Locked On NBA by using the Himalaya podcast app. You can also do it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And make sure to leave us a five-star review if you are doing that and enjoying the show. It's a great way to help support this program. Check out the rest of our shows across the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA shows, Locked On NFL, Locked On MLB as well. And follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble, as well as the network at MBA Net on both Twitter and on Instagram. Instagram. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.